I hate when people say my queen because it's like, listen, find you a woman who can control multiple political organizations, right? <laughs> Get you a woman who has multiple polities under her, who can delegate. Not just one hierarchy. Yeah, I'm into the empires. I'm into the, like, like forget about a kingdom, right? Nah. Like, I, I want to. I want versatile. I want a colonial expansionist empire. That's what I want. Anyway. Welcome to Chapel Bell Curve, stats-focused podcast about UGA football. I'm Justin. And I'm Nathan. And it's time. It's the game we've been waiting for, I feel, all season. We've alluded to it in many episodes, and here we are finally, the 13th game of the season. The one where we finally get to play our dreaded sensei, you know, uh, the one where we will finally meet him there upon the plains of, of dueling, I guess, and <clears throat> look at one another and a sh- single tear will be shed. Uh, yeah. Other tropes. <laughs> I think the it's unfortunate that Kirby Smart as the main character of Georgia football has to sort of finally face this moment, which is that everybody eventually has to find it in themselves to think i think i have to fucking kill my dad yeah you know everyone has to go and this everyone has to well not even kill i'm sorry i don't want to generalize but i think everyone who has any everyone who has any kind of relationship with their father positive or negative is going to have a moment where they think now i have to beat my dad's ass Uh, (laughs) and i'm hopeful (laughs) that as our main character that kirby smart has reached that point where he's like well I didn't want to do this and I wanted to avoid it because, you know, damn it, I love him, but I have to beat the hell out of my dad. Mm-hmm. And I I hope that that is what Kirby Smart is thinking right now in this moment. I got to beat my dad up because that's what we're going to do, or I hope, on Saturday. And I hope so. so. You got to kick Nick Saban's ass, which I just Googled Nick Saban ass because I want to know whether or not he's got an old man ass or he has like a real ass, you know? Nah, he got an know. old man ass. He has an old man ass. Yeah, it's pretty flat. Yeah, he Never has right, he has what my on. Grammy would call a satchel ass. What is a satchel ass? Tell me more. It's like, you know, when your ass is so small that your pants are all baggy, like you got a satchel back there. Oh, yeah. You're storing my, something my, back there. My pop pops my papa's nickname when he was young was Satchel because he was <laughs> uh, you know. <laughs> You know, the satchel ass. You know the one. He had a satchel ass. Yeah, you know, I mean, that's the general Lawrence boy build is like broad-shouldered, tall, flat ass. All the good stuff is up top. Gangly, tall, no butt to speak of. Mm Mm-hmm. It's unimportant, really, in the whole build. You're built differently. Yeah, built built, Well, that's what it's like to drive an (laughs) F-250. All right, so. Built Ford Tough. Built Ford Tough. just like Kirby Smart. Let's please start this episode before I talk myself <laughs> into getting fired. <laughs> Every Ford, no ass. Anyway, so uh, we spoke a little bit about uh, the coaching carousel in the last episode. So just a quick aside, uh, just kind of speak on that very briefly, because I think this is pretty important, at least in the current newscape, is that Notre Dame is actually pushing for, seems like their defensive coordinator, Marcus Freeman, to take over as head coach as soon as possible, which... Some people have speculated is because they are still very much in the playoff race. <laughs> they have, I think they have a lower chance than many teams. Obviously they're number six, I believe, uh, but they are in no way counted out. There are some scenarios in which I think they could still sneak their way into number four. Uh, but I think that this could be one of those, those things that 
it seems like they're probably trying to figure that out so that the playoff committee doesn't have anything to kind of point towards as a, a potential barrier for their injury. So uh, what are mm-hmm. you hearing on on that front? I mean, Marcus Freeman is a Luke Fickle disciple. He was Cincinnati's defensive coordinator for their very, very, very good defense. I mm-hmm. think he left at the end of last year. I, because Clark Lee, who was a defensive coordinator at Notre Dame, went to Vanderbilt. Um, I mean, it's pretty... It's well, first of all, it's awesome to elevate a 35 year old black man as a head coach. Yeah. So, in that sense, very happy that Notre Dame, which is one of the sort of small C conservative universities that you're going to find, um, just in this, not politically, but just in the sense that they kind of do things their way. So, I, I respect that. I respect that they hired a guy internally and that uh, I think it's a pretty good hire. Uh, it's definitely a hire that bucks some trends, right? It wasn't a big, splashy hire, it wasn't like a poach hire. But I think it's one that can probably work. I mean, Marcus Freeman has been successful everywhere that he's coached. And so given that he has, you know, some experience around him to help him manage that program, I think that, I mean, whatever else you want to say about Notre Dame, they should and can get talent. Whether or not that's mm-hmm. enough to win you, uh, you know, a national championship at this point, who knows? But I, I think it's a pretty good hire. But, oh yeah, you know, that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to no, talk about we dogs. Are, at the very yes. least, we wanted to throw out some news. We're just, just acknowledge because, it. You know, yeah, just, we things going on. It. Yeah. So Other news we, going on in the world. Yeah, hit me. Dogs news. Dogs, dogs news. news. You know, uh, there, I mean, it's been the same story for the last 12 games. And so now I feel like the, the media has actually turned around on Stetson, as we have as well. Like, we have to admit up front that we had some doubts going in. And I think we are both fairly pro Stetson at this point. We're all on board. Uh, but just a quote. I, I just wanted to throw in a quote from Stetson Bennett uh, earlier this week because he has been the the subject of many a Cinderella story at this point uh, that people have been telling about him. So just a quote that I felt was pretty relevant, at least to this podcast. My job is to go out there, complete passes, get the offense in the best play as possible and execute. I'll let all the story, storytelling and narrative write itself. And uh, that's just very a very chapel bell curve quote at the very least. So I just wanted to at least throw that out there. Yeah, I, I, I am. Look, I've always been pro Stetson as a human. He seems Mm -hmm. like a pretty good guy, right? I, I'm, I have not always been pro Stetson football player, but Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean that he can't, you know, um, that doesn't mean that he can't be successful at, you know, this weekend. Certainly. I think Mm -hmm. he's, I think it's, uh, I think it's. We're kind of at the point where it's like he's playing the best ball of his career by a pretty good margin. Mm. And it's like in the same way that like in 2015 and in the Schottenheimer era era and the James Coley era, we would always be like, oh, is there more to the playbook? Is there more to the playbook? Secret playbook. And eventually you just have to admit like, nah, this is just what this team is offensively. Is it? I, You know, I think that can also work in uh, that can work in reverse, right? Not just in a bad way, but in a good way where it's like, look, at some point. Stetson Bennett's been an effective quarterback and yeah. uh, whether or not he's a fed effective enough quarterback to win the college football playoff. I, I mean, I would have told, you no at the beginning of the year and I would have told, you no four or five games in, but I think that it would be spurious to pretend like he hasn't gotten better. I mean, he looked, he looked really sharp on Saturday. I mean, and if he plays, if he's capable of playing that level of game with that level of crispness to his game against Alabama, and much more talent than against pretty much anyone else we've played this year. I mean, mm-hmm. then 
yeah, he's probably capable of winning, right? And as long as he is in the right play and as long as we're executing, I mean, I think he can win us the game. Uh, the question just is, you know, is he, are we going to see bad Stetson? Is this Alabama defense capable of showing us bad Stetson? Which, I, I mean, I don't know that it is, right? So I, I can't even, I, I mean, I, I just think like at some point you have to say, this is what Stetson is. And in the same way that we often talked about that in the negative sense, it's okay to say that over the last six games, what he has been in the positive sense is, mm-hmm. I mean, one of what the best 15 quarterbacks in the nation. I mean, maybe yeah, the best 10 easily. quarterbacks in the nation. And you wouldn't think that based on his talent. And you might not even think that watching the game, but the numbers tell us adjusted or unadjusted that that's what he is production wise. And at some point that's what he is. Right. And so, um, that's sort of where I am on him. I, I'm not going to say, I'm not sure I'm ready to say like, I have faith that Stetson Bennett can lead us to victory or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But I think I do sort of think I, I, I'm not dreading him taking snaps on Saturday, Mm-mm. which at the beginning of the year and maybe even halfway through the year I was. Yeah. Feeling better though. Yeah. Uh, injuries so, coming up. This team is very much uh, the closest it's been all season to being an operational Death Star at this point. So uh, we still have all of the same out players, but the the probables and questionables, questionable at the very top, Kendall Milton will probably, you know, from what I understand from like the, the the press conferences, he'll probably play. If he doesn't play, it's not the end of the world. He needs to get better still. But Christopher Smith, Kiaris Jackson, Jamari Sawyer are all on the probable side of things. And so we will most likely see them. So would yeah. you share a little bit uh, about what... I? To me, the one that will make the biggest difference at this point right now, I feel, is Jamari Sawyer. And could you speak a little bit of that and what that could mean for us? Yeah, so I I sort of ag- I agree and I disagree. On the one hand, it mm-hmm. seems like things are, uh, I think, Owen Condon, or no, Cedric Brand-Pran during media availability said that things were looking positive and that he's optimistic that he can play. Uh, Sawyer, you know, with a, with a foot injury on a big guy, that can be sort of a little bit tricky, just like that's a weight bearing foot, you know, injury. Um, but he might be the most important person that is injured in the sense of like matchup wise, like Will Anderson uh, is maybe the best defensive player in college football right now. He's just a real game changer of a uh, outside linebacker for Alabama. He has been a real bright spot on that team that has often struggled defensively. Um, mm. So in that sense, I think matchup wise, yeah, he's the biggest one. To me, I think the guy that is the biggest loss just in terms of depth is probably Christopher Smith. Uh, Again, someone that had a lower body injury as well. I think he had a knee injury. That seems like he's he's out there running and he practiced, I think, on Monday and then Tuesday. Maybe he practiced again. I haven't seen the late practice reports from Tuesday. Uh, So it seems like things are looking good that that in that sense. But I mean, keep in mind that like if Christopher Smith can't go that like he's probably replaced by Dan Jackson. Who is mm-hmm. a good player, but if you if the if you're asking me like who do I want trying to provide help over the top on John Mechie, like Christopher Smith or Dan Jackson? I mean it's Christopher you're Smith. Christopher and Smith. So yeah. And the other problem is just from the depth perspective, once Christopher Smith goes out, you're one snap away from having to play somebody that you don't think is ready, right? I mean you got William Poole, who's a fifth year player, but clearly not. You know, I mean clearly has not earned the playing time even over a formal walk on. Uh, so I, I, I think all three of those guys, like you said, if you, if, if Kirby is not saying day to day, I feel like that the thing about Kirby is when he says that you're day to day, it basically means you're out. 
right? And he hasn't said yeah. that about any of those guys. So I think all three of those guys have a good chance to go. And maybe Christopher Smith can come out on certain snaps or certain downs. And even that would be great. Um, I think Kyrus Jackson is also sort of a, see, a sneaky good uh, a, a sneaky good weapon. I mean, one of the things we're going to talk about in the matchups of this game is that Alabama, despite not being Alabama defensively, they have a very they are very good run uh, defensive team against the run, or they have been at times against teams, and then they've had bad moments. But their their good moments have been very very good against the run. So mm-hmm. I think it's one of those things where it's like if you are worried that your run game isn't going to work, which at points in the year UGA's run game has not worked, then you want to have every possible weapon on the outside that you can. And at this point, I think Kyrus Jackson is probably the most proven wide receiver on the team. He might not be the guy with the highest upside or the guy that's the most game breaking, but in terms of just like, who can you throw it to to get a first down when you really need one? It's that Kyrus Jackson is probably the guy, right? Production. Mm-hmm. So I, I think all three of them are big if they're all three back. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Big deal. I would say there are a couple of other like relevant injuries just to bring up on Alabama's side as well. Brian Robinson, uh, Alabama's, I think Alabama only has one the fully healthy back. scholarship back, and Brian Robinson is apparently not healthy right now. He has a, a undisclosed lower body injury, uh, and I think if I it was like a hamstring thing, maybe. Um, where he he went out and he pulled a muscle, uh, described as lower body pulled muscle by Nick Saban. Um, you know they have Roydo Williams. They lost Roydo Williams and Jason McClellan, who were the backups. Um, uh, five star Washman uh, freshman Kamar Wheaton was hurt in the uh the practice was hurt in practice before the season. So you have Trey Sanders coming in, uh, who is obviously a less proven back or a less proven running back and who is at this point, their only healthy scholarship back. So that's something to look at. Alabama has uh, run the ball less than you probably imagine from an Alabama team, but they still try to run the ball. And if you take away that dimension of their game, it really hurts their RPO game. Um, So I think that's one to worry about. Uh, Let's see. Other than that, Alabama doesn't have that many serious injuries, but that one, that one I think would be a real game breaker. So you want to, do you want to talk about before we get into our stats fully? I know I'm, I'm sort of edging us towards stats already, but you want to no, talk right. about the wins, the history here and the Winsipedia and all that. The history of these teams. It's really hard to compare any team against Alabama, to be honest. And I'm not saying that in like a, a weird, like biased or inflated way. It's, it's true. Like by every statistic, Alabama, it beats every other team, um, I think that the the thing that is maybe most important as far as, you know, just this sort of quote unquote revenge tour that we it's the continued revenge tour from 2018 that we're, you know, we're, we're still trying to, to make that happen. But the last time that Georgia beat Alabama was 2007. It was Mark Richt against Saban. Uh, that was the I believe that was the, like the first year that Saban was the head coach. And that was the the only rough year he's had since I think he had one, maybe two years that were kind of shaky and since then it's just been the what Saban does uh but at this point you know we're, we're just trying to trying to make it happen you know I know earlier this year as far as dynasties go or at least narratives go in this sense you know Jimbo Fisher was the first at this point assistant to beat Alabama and I I still believe at least subjectively speaking that he had no business beating Alabama it seemed like that was just Alabama's game to lose and that has felt like the sort of the through line for Alabama this year, uh, especially like in the, the Auburn game last week, 
Uh, it didn't. It, it wasn't as much that Auburn was playing better than Alabama. It's that Alabama was just playing worse than Auburn. Uh, and it seems like if that is the, the the game that they're bringing this weekend, then it will not go well for them. Uh, but I, I hope at least narratively speaking, I will say that I hope that it's just a, a good game, you know, through and through and that nobody has and they still will regardless. I, I hope that nobody has anything to say about, you know, well, this wasn't Alabama's best game. Of course, Georgia won kind of thing, you know, things like that. I hope that that is not the, the kind of the outcome of this, but we'll yeah, see what happens, I, mean, I guess. I think narrative wise, I, I don't normally buy into narratives, but I just think if you are Georgia and you've been on this Georgia team for more than a year, I don't mm. know how you're not up for this game. If anything, oh, yeah. my concern is not that we don't come to play. It's that we come in too amped and we don't have composure. I mean, I, I think the team is going to be up. I think this is like, I think the monkey off the back thing is kind of stupid and it doesn't really matter. But look, let's not pretend that it's going to, in a hypothetical scenario where you beat random SEC West teams ass in the mm -hmm. SEC championship, Auburn or LSU or Arkansas or whatever, versus beating Alabama's ass in this game. Yeah, it's going to mean more, right? I mean, it's going to, I mean, I don't think we can pretend that this game doesn't have some weight and some history and some heft to it for Georgia fans. And, you know, I, I don't think that Kirby is going to shy away from that. And I don't think that any of us should either. And I mean, the fact of the matter is it's not house money in the sense that you should be complacent and you shouldn't care if we win. You should care if we win because first of all, I'm about to say some bad words. So uh -oh. if you would fire me and you, if you work at my, at the work <clears throat> I work at and you would report me, this is the time to pause. But like, <laughs> first of all, fuck Alabama. Uh, just like to just off the right off the bat, let's start there, right? And it, so it's like, I, I, I don't hate Nick Saban the way some Georgia fans do, but this team has caused me personally and a lot of other Georgia fans a lot of suffering, and so mm -hmm. I, I don't think that I, I rail against narratives all the time, but this is a narrative I think is actually accurate, right? Uh, this is a game that means a lot to. Georgia fans, it means a lot to the Georgia team. If you think it sucks for you, imagine being Julian Rochester in your sixth year of eligibility and still remembering second and 26 in person, right? I mean, imagine being the guys on that team in 2019 or 2018 or 2017, right? And being close or ahead by multiple touchdowns against this team that you cannot close out. And the only thing I want, I don't care about what Alabama fans say. All I want is to put the knife in the throat and get out of there. That's all I care about. Like if we, we got to kill this team and then we get out of there. Um, but yeah, we should probably like actually preview the game and not have me just rant about <laughs> that's how much. it though. That's all. Like, I mean like seriously, man, like oh, let's man. just put the, let's put this to bed. Let's, let's put it to bed yeah. right now. Like let, let's, let's not screw around with any of this. Like, Oh, well we can, you know, we can beat them. It's hard for them to beat us twice stuff. Like, no, just like get them on the ground and kill them and let's get out of here. Like, I don't want any of this like third act villain turn bullshit, like, because that would be insufferable. All right, mm -hmm. let's preview this actual game. Let's talk um, about stats then. Yeah. I have a lot of stats. I have a whole lot of stats. Tell so, me the stats, Nathan. I'm going to try. I've been trying to think about how to organize this. And so what I think I'm going to try to do. And so I apologize to Justin ahead of time because this is going to be like 10 minutes of just me talking. So what I think I'm going to try to do is start with what, who are these teams? Okay. Start with some footprint stats, unadjusted footprints, 
adjusted footprints, et cetera. Then get move on to, you know, like what do we know about this team, these teams in terms of their personality, in terms of their relevant, you know, stats and rankings and all that business. And then kind of land on our CBCR prediction because we have done a lot of work on this game. And if you've been on Twitter, you've probably already seen our CBCR prediction. And I'm imagining that if Justin is anything like me, that his game prediction for this is probably pretty close to our CBCR prediction because our numbers Mm. are hot and we believe in our numbers. And so I'm going to try to start you at sort of what's the context statistically? Where are we in this game? Who are these teams? How do they match up together? And then I'm going to talk about our prediction and what we did to arrive at it and how we got there. So who are these teams? Okay. So you know who Georgia is uh, at this point in the oh, year. Yes. And and we talked, We I used the Dragon Ball Z metaphor in the past, but <laughs> Georgia is the the multi-episode Dragon Ball Z fight. Every Every game has been the same. This is a team with a, frankly, better than you would imagine offense. They don't run the ball particularly well. Georgia doesn't uh, on a consistent basis, but they throw the hell out of the ball and they have a literal like king shit off it, our defense. Just uh, not just like a best this year defense, but a, a best in the past 10 years, 15 years history of college football defense. This is a defense that our numbers say is about three and a half standard deviations outside of an average defense. So that's about mm-hmm. a one in 10,000 defense. So that's that's where we all know that we know the main character. That's UGA. So who is this Bama team in terms of footprint? Well, I have my I have our advanced metrics um, ranking stuff up that we put out every week. And I missed a couple of weeks, but I put it out this week for our patrons if you want to play along at home. Uh, and I'm not going to read every number, but I just want to give us some things about what Bama does and who they are. Uh, you know, look, here's the thing. Defensively, uh, Bama is a team that is still better than you probably think defensively. They've had some bad moments this year. Uh, the numbers I'm about to tell you are unadjusted, but... This is still a team that is, you know, second in unadjusted line yards uh, surrendered. So they don't give up a lot of easy runs, you know, first three or four yards. Second in stuff rate, they stuff a lot of runs. First in rush EPA unadjusted, you know, 13th in standard down EPA unadjusted. Like this is a this is a defense that defends the ball well or defends the rush well. Uh, they are they have had some real chinks in the armor when it comes to passing. And they also have not done a great job of converting those uh you know converting havoc plays and good plays on defense into stops so they're 93rd in the nation in explosive plays surrendered this is unadjusted of course they are 34th in pass epa rank 32nd in pass down epa rank and they are uh 89th in ppo rank ppo is a statistic we're going to talk about a lot about today ppo is points per opportunity which is basically a very simple stat that measures how many points do you score on average every time you possess the ball inside of your opponent's 40. So it's basically finishing drives. They are not finishing drives very well on on teams the way that they usually do. This is an Alabama team that has given up some long drives. They give up some long drives against teams like Arkansas, Auburn, Texas A&M. So it, you know this is one of those those teams defensively that is better than you probably have been led to believe. They're, the reports of their death are, are are exaggerated, but on the other hand, uh, they still have some holes. Right? The you know I think that if you were to Listen to our friend Graham over at Dog Sports Live or people who do more of the scheme stuff. They would tell you that they've gotten sloppy defense uh, in the inside linebacking core at times. Henry Toto, Toto, who's a Tennessee transfer, he's a really good player, but he doesn't he hasn't had the discipline in terms of being in the right run fit every day or every time he's gotten confused in pass coverage at times. And, you know, this is a team that has some really good players up front, but it is not a team that is uh, dominant on the defensive line. 
for the first time in the Kirby Smart era, this is a this is an Alabama Georgia matchup where Alabama ha- or where Georgia has by far the better defensive line, and they might have the better mm-hmm. offensive line as well. So that's that's Alabama defensively. Offensively, it's kind of a similar story where it's like in some ways they're better than you think. This is an above average offense. Uh, they throw the ball well. They, Bryce Young has been very good. They are incredibly efficient. Their standard down EPA rank on the year is one, first in the nation, which means that on downs where you can run or pass, so we're talking uh, first and 10, second and five or less, third and three or less, something like that, like downs where you can choose either way and you're not forced to pass, Alabama is the best team in the nation offensively. If they stay on schedule on you, they will run, they will move the ball down the field. Uh, they're pretty good at uh, PPO. They're 10th in the nation in offensive PPO. UGA, by by comparison, is 7th in the nation in offensive PPO. That's what, like we said, points per opportunity, how good you are at closing out drives. Uh, but this is not a team that runs the ball well. Uh, and it's for weird reasons, right? So their pass EPA rank is 13th, right? So pretty good, you know, uh, estimated points added, passing. Uh, 72nd and, and rush EPA. So they're not running the bat wall, ball particularly successfully. They are 109th in stuff rate rank. Um, that means that they are giving up a lot of very small... Uh, they're, they're, they are surrendering a lot of short runs. They are getting stuffed in the run game quite a bit. And they are 63rd in the nation on pass down EPA rank. And that, to me, I think is sort of like... That's the tension that UGA is going to try to exploit. So you have a team that throws the ball really well. They don't run the ball particularly well. But on the other hand, they're way better in standard downs than they are in passing downs, right? So what that tells me is when they can run RPOs convincingly on you, they are very good, right? If they are in standard down and they can have a convincing play action game where you don't, but where you have to pay attention to the, to, you have to respect the run just situationally, they can be very good. But if you can pin your ears back about this t- against this team, they they go from an above average offense to an average to below average offense, right? And to me, that that speaks to why their run game is so bad because, you know, I think it's like if you if they have to tip their hand, they're not as good. That's what these numbers are telling me, right? Like if they're obviously going to run or they're obviously going to pass, they don't have the players to just outplayer you that they normally yeah. have. Now they got some really good players, Jameson Williams. It's really good wide receiver. John Mechie is a really good wide receiver. Bryce Young's a very good quarterback, but they do not have the absolute game breakers at every level of this offense in the way that they've had in the past. Right. And to me, that's really the story because like, look, let's be honest. Like we're all on the psychiatrist couch about this Alabama team, or if you're a UGA fan, you should be right. This is a team that has hurt us in some yeah. really meaningful ways. Many times. This is a team that is the source of a lot of my psychological trauma, right? So, but I would say that if you looked at this matchup in a vacuum and you looked at UJ's defense playing an offense at that level, a very talented but flawed offense, you would say, I feel pretty comfortable with that matchup. Now, I have a hard time saying that because I'm a UGA fan and this is Alabama, but I think at some point you have to just believe the numbers. So that's sort of like where Alabama is as a team, where UGA is as a team. So let's talk about uh, our CBCR stuff, okay? So yeah. we talked about this with Ross, I believe, uh, last last week. We had Ross uh, Ross R on, our mm-hmm. sort of the leader of our CBCR metric model. Uh, so just I'm gonna briefly 
I'm going to try to give you like the idiot's guide to what we're trying to do with CDCR. <laughs> all right. And I'm not good at math, so I'm probably going to get some of this math wrong. But let me just like start at the top with what you're doing, with what we're doing. Okay. So, and Justin, I'm sorry that I'm talking so much. No, I'm into um, it. Go All off. right. So we, we start with this. So for a long time, we have been collecting data on these stats, these individual stats. So EPA, success rate, uh, explosiveness, uh, points per opportunity. Those are things we've been talking about for basically the length of this podcast. What our model tries to do is we basically look at how important are those metrics to scoring points? How important are those statistics to scoring points, to winning the game even, right? And using a bunch of math that I am too stupid to understand fully, uh, using basically regression, if you want to put it in the simple like AP statistics way, we can regress those, those different variables and figure out how important are each of those to winning slash scoring points. And then we can use those numbers to come up with based on how good you are at each of our original stats, how many points did you score above an average team? How many points better than an average team are you? Okay. Now this is kind of what a lot of models do. SP plus, uh, FEI, et cetera. Now we use a bunch of different stats for this. Uh, we use SRS, which is simple rating system, uh, which is to give us our opponent adjustment. Um, but what we've really focused in on are a couple of statistics that we've found and our numbers, and I'm saying we very generously because this is basically people who are smarter than me who are also working on this. I don't want to take any credit for this. Um, have found that basically these statistics matter. And if we add them into an opponent adjustment so that we adjust them so that like you get more credit for doing these statistics well against better teams, then we can figure out how many points are you better than an average team. And then we can use that to predict how many points should you score against a specific team. You with me so far? So that's where we get a predictive model. Now, what are the met what are the statistics that we find particularly important? Well, one of the things that we're doing that's a little bit different for everybody else is we are using we are hand calculating SRS to we are basically doing opponent adjustment on our own uh, in a way that other statistical models aren't. Um, and no, not all of them. FEI I think is doing their own opponent adjustment thing with ALS and ELS, but that doesn't matter. So we're doing our our opponent adjustment a little bit different. But one of the big things that we're finding is our numbers tell us that opportunity rate and points per opportunity uh, is one of the most important stats for winning a football game. So what are those two what do those two things mean? First, opportunity rate is how often does the opponent or how often do you possess the ball inside of your opponent's 40 or how often does your opponent possess the ball inside of your 40? If you can keep them off of your side of the field through field position punting and just playing good defense or good offense, uh, you win the game more. Points per opportunity is when you get the ball inside of your opponent's for, uh, 40, how many points per uh, time that you have the ball inside of your opponent's 40 are you getting? And then how many points per time are you surrendering? So that number usually for points per opportunity is somewhere around four. It's somewhere between a touchdown and a field goal, right? Because if you figure you have a decent college kicker, you have the ball inside of the 40, should be able to get at least three points, right? You with me so far? Oh yeah. All right. That's so that brings us to our specific numbers for Georgia and Alabama. We're I'm I, I'm working you through. <laughs> I'm working you through this, like as as I'm trying to be as like clear and concise as I can, but like I really want to make sure that we get these numbers out there because I think they're good and important. All yeah. right. 
So that brings us to points per opportunity. Right now, in in points per opportunity and opportunity rate, things are pretty close between these two teams in every aspect except for one. Okay, UGA uh, is they are getting about four point eight two points per opportunity. That's pretty good. Uh, uh, but Bama is getting about four point seven five. That's also pretty good, right? UGA's opportunity rate defensively is about. Uh, 0.31, 31% of opponent staps. That's pretty good. Uh, Bama's is uh, 0.31 as well, right? So those are both very good in terms of just like how often do you let offenses possess the ball inside of your 40? Uh, Offensive opportunity rate is also very close. They're both 57%. Now, the big difference between these two teams in terms of this stat that we think really matters is defensive points per opportunity. And I think that this is kind of the game to us and our numbers, and to me, which is Alabama right now is surrendering four points per opportunity. So every time you possess the ball inside of Alabama's 40, you get on average four points. Now, that's a little below average. The average nationally is 3.74 points this year. So that's below average, but fine, right? So that tells us that in terms of finishing drives, Alabama is just okay. UGA right now is surrendering 1.4 points per opportunity. So I just want to make sure that we're all on the same page about what I mean when I say that. If you possess the ball inside of UGA's 40, you average less than a a field goal. You do not average Mm -hmm. a field goal. You do not average somewhere between a field goal and a touchdown. You average literally less points than you are capable of scoring as an offense in one go. I love that. So... To me, that's the game. If Alabama offensively cannot finish drives, then Georgia will win this game. Yes. And and I say that with more certainty than I say pretty much anything else about this game because I know that it was put on this earth by God to hurt me because I am a character <laughs> in a modern day version of Faust. I totally, I totally am on 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 board with that. So I'll just use some if statements and some therapy words. Based on the numbers I'm reading, I feel that if they don't finish drives on us, if we get them to turn the ball over and punt the ball inside of the 50, they get past the 50 and we make them punt, or we they get past the 50 and they have to kick a field goal, which they're not great at, or they get past the 50 and they turn over on downs, and they do that a couple of times, which is to say, if we get stops, we will win this game. And we might win it like comfortably. So that's where we are. So that brings us to our prediction. So here's what Oof. we did. All right. So what we did is we put we put these two teams in the model and just to and basically when you are uh when you are doing predictions, you, the measure of how good your prediction is is called absolute error. Absolute mm-hmm. error is absolute error is the total number of points off you are on the final score. So if you have an absolute error of 10, then you were six points off on one side and four points off on the other, or 10 points and zero points, whatever, right? A good absolute error for a lot of these predicting ratings is 10, somewhere around 10. CBCR this year, I think, is somewhere around 10. So we're doing we're having a pretty good year in terms of absolute error. Uh, when it comes to these two teams, our absolute error is more like six, okay? So we, we are really honed in. Our numbers are really good at predicting these two teams. And then on top of that, 
when we retrodicted, which is to say we took our numbers and we pointed them at all the games that ev- that Bama and UJ had already played. And I think Ross can correct me, but I'm pretty sure that our absolute error at that point was something more like three or four. So our numbers are getting it right when it comes to these two teams, right? And our numbers are pointing to things that give UGA an advantage. And this is all a long way of saying that we have UGA by 12 points in this game. Mm -hmm. And I spent 15 minutes leading up to that statement because I want you to understand that that also fills me with a kind of existential dread that like like (laughs) global warming does. But I... I think that you have to, at some point, if you're going to put your name on the number, which we literally are right now, you Mm -hmm. have to be on it. You have to stick to the numbers. We like UGA by 12 points. CBCR predicts this game as a final score of, and let me make sure that I get this correct. Our predicted final score is UGA. uh, Let's see. UGA 30.5 Bama. 17.7 projected margin of victory 12.8 cashing the under but cashing the uga covering the point spread i'm into it and so i i wish i could give you a reason that that won't happen because my heart is hurt and i'm basically (laughs) a sports zombie but it was one of those things where like we didn't think those numbers were right. And we spent a long time, Ross spent a long time making sure that those numbers were were doing as close as we could. And that's the number we got. All right. So let's talk about subjective stuff. So how does this match up with what we're, we're going to see on the field? Oh, buddy. Um, oh, buddy. So I mean, it, this it, is the most... It, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. It, Justin, take it away. I was going to say, it, it lines up with a lot of what you, you exactly just said. I mean... Um, taking away the run game. I mean, the, the run game seems pretty predictable at this point, which is something that we could not have said about Alabama in past years, that you have one guy that's run 800 more yards on average than any other running back on this team and scored 12 more touchdowns than any other running back on this team. And so we're pretty sure where the ball will go if they're trying to hand it off to somebody to, to run the ball. And so you do two things, I think. You, you make Bama run the ball or you make them try to run the ball and you pressure Bryce Young so that he tries to run the ball. And I think that those are the two biggest things. And if you're doing that, then you have to contain Richardson and you continue to pressure Bryce Young. And so if you're doing those things, I mean, what 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 are the other big things that we really need to do as a defense to make this game go our way? I I mean, I I, I don't really have that's you're, that's correct. That's right? it. Like, that's the game plan, right? Yeah. It's like if you this is a team that they run, they stay ahead of the chains about 60% of the time. They're hella efficient. They, they pass the ball more than they run. Right. But they rely on the running game to open up the RPOs. They rely on their RPO game to open up quick slants to Mechie. They rely on their RPO game to open up these rub routes. The lot, they move Mechie around out of that RPO game. If you can kill the run game, the thing withers on the vine. And I think UGA is capable of doing that. And I think to to sort of, and I think this kind of transitioned into our what we want to see because I think my final observation would be if you hit Bryce Young and you get him on the ground, you will win this game. Yeah. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, if UGA has like I don't know five sacks, four sacks, I have a really hard time imagining them lose this game. 
Now, they could still, right? Absolutely. Because, you know, sometimes life is about meditating on the impermanence of all things, you know? And sometimes when you sit under the banyan tree, the the birds of the air bring you fruits, and sometimes you starve to death. And that's okay, right? And uh, I think that we have to be zen about that. But if we hit Bryce Young and we wrap him up, and that's the first thing I want to see, you have to get after Bryce Young. You have to get after Bryce Young. The whole year, UGA has been way more conservative in terms of rushing the passer after the Clemson game than they were the rest of the year, right? Mm-hmm. They were like, they were switch dogging and like double A gap and corner blitz and like loop blitzes and fire blitzes. And they're putting Trayvon Walker in coverage. Like they, they were, they, they decided basically. DJ Ungalangale, if he is the second coming of Cam Newton, he will not beat us. We are going to put his ass on the ground. And they haven't done that the rest of the year. And to me, I think that has to be the game plan. You have to put his white his white pants in the fucking ground. You have to put his ass on the dirt. Well, it's, it's actually like field turf, but whatever. <laughs> on the rubber pellets, right? And I think if you do that, you're going to have success. Uh, what else? What, what do you want to see? We can go back and forth. Uh, the other things, I, I mean, so last week, Mechie was really the big target. And I think that's kind of the thing. Like, he's not like the most targeted receiver for this Alabama offense, but it seems like taking away Williams, Mechie is obviously the, the next best option. And so therefore, when you're trying to make a team more predictable, you try to take away the, the most quote unquote talented, uh, receiver for that, that offense. And so, I think that we just have to make sure that Mechie is contained. And so who do we put on Mechie to make sure he stays contained? I think you have to really rely, especially on uh, those uh, crossing routes. Like they love to do the quick slant and the cro- and crossing routes with Mechie or put Mechie on a wheel route or motion him out into like a swing pass onto a real wheel route or whatever. Uh, and I think you have to just have, you're going to play a lot more zone, which means that he's going to have room to make those catches. So you have to be able to just, tight zone on him to tighten down like you have i think it's going to really rely on inside linebackers to put a hat on him and maybe you give up some of those crossing routes to him and i i think that our biggest boon i feel like this year that like the as uh as kirby put it our unsung heroes and he like backtracked and he said actually the not so much unsung heroes the pretty sung heroes but the people that have really made this team kind of sing in general are the tight ends those three tight ends and uh so I think that that's a note you have. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, this is a talented inside linebacker core from Alabama, but you do not have the you don't have the guy at inside linebacker the way that you have in the past. You don't have, I mean, you, honestly, you don't really even have the guy at at cornerbacker safety. So I think this is a this is a a, a secondary that that especially Brock Powers can put into tension, right? I think mm-hmm. you have some good inside linebackers, but I think you have some guys who have gotten lost in coverage. Like I said, Henry Toto is a really good linebacker, but he can fly around. He 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 can get a little bit lost in the wash, and I think that he's the kind of guy that uh, Brock Bowers could break his ankles, right? I mean, you have you have some really talented defensive backs on this team, but there have been some really talented defensive backs who haven't been able to tackle Darnell Washington, and I just think. You have to work the tight ends over the middle. You have to work the tight ends into the game plan. And I think they will because what that, I mean, in terms of just like 
you know, a lot of how you play defense on a down to down basis is not just about the play call, right? In terms of where you go at the snap, it's about alignment, which is where you are at the snap, like where your area of responsibility is, et cetera, right? And so a lot of establishing the run game is if you can run the ball effectively, you shift the defensive alignment, right? They have to put another guy in the box near the line of scrimmage, and that means you can throw over the top of them. They have to put, uh, you know, they have to bring a safety up in, or a cornerback up in run support, which means that you have a, a wide receiver running safety. Well, UGA has not been very good at running the ball, so how do you shift that defensive alignment? And I think that trying to working the working the tight ends across the middle a couple of times, working Brock Bowers just like in a in a catch and run situation, that warps the alignment of Alabama's defense in a similar way that having an effective run game can do. And I think, you know, instead of running to pass, we're going to have to pass to run. But I think we're specifically going to have to pass to the tight ends to run because what that's going to do is it's going to require more work out of an inside linebacker core. And if you can get their their inside linebacker's eyes moving, then maybe you can have some more success running the ball. Um, and I would say my favorite, my final thing that I want to say is like, we just got to play sound coverage. We're probably mm-hmm. going to give up a bust. Like we're probably there's probably going to be a long touchdown to Mechie or a long touchdown to Jameson Williams. There might be a long touchdown to both, right? But you just have to not hemorrhage those plays. You you're going to get challenged and you're probably going to give some plays up, and that's fine, right? Like this is going to be something where we have to take their best shot. We're not going to that you cannot dodge every shot. You cannot dip and weave out of every shot from Alabama. They're too talented, right? But you you have to not have an obvious matchup that they think that they can like, I mean, a couple of years ago, it was Tyreek McGee. And I forget who the other guy was. It wasn't William Poole. He's still on the team. It was like Mark Webb. And it was like every third down Alabama absolutely knew that they could victimize Mark Webb. And if we could get Tyreek McGee out there, then maybe we could do something. Right. But like, you cannot have Alabama. You cannot have give Alabama the ability to just pick at something to pick at the scab. And if they like, they're going to win a matchup downfield, and it's fine. They might even win one against a really good player, but you cannot give them something where they know we can victimize this guy, right? Yeah. So that's all I got. You got anything else? Oh, uh, you I do want to know kind of um, a little bit about. So, you know, we, we've asked in, in past years. I think I don't think we've done it as much this year, just because it's been a f- not an easy year by any means, but we've we've had pretty straightforward answers as to like what does this team need to do to win, and so this is I feel like one of the big games at least this year that we have to answer the question of what what do what indicates like what is going wrong for this team like if we're watching this game this weekend and something is happening uh, at what point do we say like this is not going as well as we would, as we would hope. Um, and so to be more specific about that, what, what has to, to work against Stetson? Because I feel like, you know, you've talked a little bit about the chink in the armor and, uh, being a, a quote unquote Cinderella story, I feel like that is the obvious chink in the armor is like, how do you shut down the defense or offense? Excuse me. You, you take down Stetson and see so how, what, what is it that this Alabama defense needs to do in order to work against Stetson, uh, to kind of shut him down and keep him contained or, keep this offense from producing anything at all well i think the biggest thing is like this is one of the one of the keys to stetson playing the best ball of his life is that he has had basically a very clean pocket a lot of the time right Mm -hmm. this has been an offensive line that is just pretty good at uh this is an offensive line that's been pretty good at pass protection basically an entire year so 
I I think the first thing is if you're just giving up a lot of pressure and he doesn't have time to set his feet. Yeah, he has the ability the ability to scramble, but to me that's a bad sign because it show it it's like that should be a strength. Even against Will Anderson, a very 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 good pass rush specialist. You're going to give up a sack to Will Anderson. It just is what it is, right? The offense has to be able to continue to operate with that as a given. If one of your givens is they have a game breaker at they have a game breaking edge player. They have a game breaking pass rusher. Then you have to have an offense that still functions from like a logical sort of like uh sort of almost theoretical standpoint with that as a given, right? So if we can't move the ball while Will Anderson is running around back there, or we can't stone him at all, or we don't have a plan to move the pocket away from him or double team or put Darnell Washington on him. And if those things aren't working, then I think that's that's sort of, to me, that's the chink in the armor. Because, you know, look, Stetson, if he's consistently under pressure, in particular, if he's under pressure up the middle, which I don't think they have quite as good a chance to do, if he's under pressure up the middle, Stetson will make some dumb throws. And I think that even if it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, we scored, but... You know, they put Stetson on his ass a couple of times and like he he made a throw that maybe should have been a pick. To me, that's that's the first sign where you're like, yay, yay, Like that's <laughs> the first thing I get worried about, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, he's going to throw a pick, right? It, it, it seems like it happens I mean, regularly enough. Yeah, he's he's been he's been pretty clean these past three these past you know four or five games in particular uh mm-hmm. i think probably it's a better chance that he does than he doesn't just because that's part of his game you know he's gonna mm-hmm. try to get it in there or whatever uh so i think yes i think is the most likely the most honestly the most likely answer is yes more likely yeah. than not now the question just is what is it a backbreaker right like if mm-hmm. we got first and 10 from the 20 and stetson throws a pick and that's caught at, you know, the Bama, you know, 10 or whatever, like, and they turn the ball over. Like, I, st- yeah, like they turn the ball over, but they, they get the ball back. And it's basically just an arm punt. Then I feel pretty good. Right. But if we throw a pick that gives them like, you know, first down at the 30, then that's, that's concerning. Yeah. So hopefully it's uh, not so bad. You know, do you want to yeah. move into some over unders? I would love to. So we're going to get uh, into our over unders to sort of feel out what we think is going to happen in the game. And then we're going to make some mm-hmm. predictions. And I'm going to go ahead and spoil that our predictions are sort of boring because they're very close to each other. They are fairly similar. Yeah. So hit me with your first one. All right. First off, coming up off the dome, over under <laughs> 0.5 John Mechie TDs. And by off the dome, I mean off of the notes. <laughs> that's what we call the dome uh the i'd dome. like to think that's probably over uh, i say like to i would actually like to think that it's probably under but i believe it's probably going yeah, to be over i, think I just that's where think... the touchdowns are going yeah i think that's pretty much over is the answer mm-hmm. it's a real shame but you know what they're, they're gonna get theirs and that's something we have to come to terms with before this game uh or else we're gonna have a bad time you know mm-hmm. uh my first over-under for you is over-under five-and-a-half Bryce Young sacks because it seems like, uh, especially... So we, we mentioned two games in this this episode. We, we mentioned the Clemson game where we uh, we sacked uh, DJ Uyelongale, I believe. I haven't said his name in a long time. Uh, 
I think we sacked him seven times, seven or eight times. And Auburn sacked Bryce Young seven times last week. So it seems like, you know, if we were to cross-reference those two games, like where is the overlap between when we play really great defenses and offenses? Like we have to put pressure on the quarterback. We have to contain them. We have to make sure that they are becoming more predictable. And so I think that's kind of the 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 way this has to go in order to make this work. So give me your your ideas there. Uh, we've said a lot of things about this this defense and how it blitzes. So what do you think? I wow, it's just that's a lot. <laughs> it is. Oh, I agree. I, I that's a whole lot. That's a lot. No, I I get why you asked that because I think that. It is not too far outside of the big hump of the bell curve to say that UJ gets like six or seven sacks. Mm-hmm. They do have problems on the right side of their offensive line. They have a very good left tackle and Evan, not Evan Williams, Freudian slip. <laughs> uh, God, what's Alabama's like great left, left tackle and wild turkey himself? Uh, Looking at that. I, it's not Alec, Evan Neal. Jesus Christ. There he is. That's just, the boy. I could not think of anything but the whiskey I drank in high in, in college. But yeah, Evan Neal's a really good player. I think he's like <laughs> apparent I'm not like an NFL guy, but he's apparently like a you know first round draft pick type. Uh but I guy. think they they have had a lot of inconsistency on the right side of their offensive line. So I think it's not ridiculous. I'm gonna say under because I do think that like if you gave me four point five, I would probably take over. That's kind of what I was thinking too, yeah. But I, I felt like a five point five would would split us. Six seems like way too much because I feel like in past years our game plan has been to pull our defensive backs back a little bit and kind of play the under game and not really like sell ourselves on the pressure. But we'll see what happens. I mean, that seems to be like as as offenses have become more quote unquote modernized. It seems like defenses have had to become quote unquote modernized as well, and so. Blitzing has been way more common, I feel, in in more modern defenses. But we'll see. We'll see. You know, I think we're gonna come after him. But I I, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think they have the wide receiver talent to punish us if we do it too much. Yeah. Uh. So over under fifty Brian Robinson yards. I you know I would think a healthy Brian Robinson you'd have to set this at over, but I I just don't know. Is this just rushing? Yeah. Uh, if it's just rushing, I say under. Well, what about, let's just say total, total yards. I think it's probably under as well. If he, you're right, if he were healthy, it would be a little bit more difficult. Uh, I don't, I, I haven't seen Alabama do a lot as far as use their, like utilize their running backs in the, the past game because they do have two really great wide receivers. And so I think this is probably under, yeah. Faint. Absolutely same. Yeah, I, I just don't, I think that, uh, playing an injured back against probably one of the better run defenses in the nation is not a recipe for success. And I think we'll still see him. I mean, unless something's really, really wrong, like we're still going to see him at some point, right? Um, over under 30 and a half Bryce Young pass attempts. This man has been passing out of control against uh, these last few teams. I'm going to say, uh, oh man, 30 and a half. <laughs> That's pretty good. He passed 51 times against Auburn. And I had overtime for that, though. Mm. I'm going to say over tentatively because I don't know how you run the ball against this defense with any sort of consistency. I mean, they might have a couple of really good runs against us, but I don't think this is a game. I don't think it's a defense that you can run the ball 30 times and expect to be successful. Mm-hmm. 
And that's that's really important too. It's like, is this team going to get so bar- far behind they need to pass it that many times? And I think that that's their running game is so not weak, <laughs> but it is it is in a way limited. I will say so. They're they're going to have to rely on Bryce Young and maybe what's his face, Paul Tyson is that his name, uh, the other boy. <laughs> but what do you? What else you got? Uh, let's take. Give me over under one and a half. Bennett to passing touchdowns. Um, I think it's probably over. I I think that we see the run game in this game is really going to be to establish the pass game. And I don't think it's going to be one that we're, I mean, I know that we're, we're typically, you know, more of like an explosive kind of pass game team, but yeah, so let me see. Yeah, go ahead. Let me, let me amend that. Cause I think you're right. One and a half might be too obvious. What, what would you say to two and a half? Mm, I'll I'll say under still. I think two touchdowns is pretty safe. Right. So you're gonna say under? Yeah, I'll say under. I'll say two touchdowns. Um, that feels good. I I think I'm gonna say over. I think this might be a game where Stetson balls out a little bit. I think mm-hmm. not because the matchup's particularly good or anything, but I just think that like at some point you have to just admit that you have a good passing offense, even if you don't like the way it looks. Right. And even if you haven't played teams that have the talent that Alabama has, I mean, like one of the things that is sort of sneaky about this game is y'all know that like y'all all know that Bryce Young and, and Stetson Bennett are basically the same height. Right. Yep. So it's like both these dudes are under six foot. They're both like, you know, five ten, five eleven, whatever. So it's not like that. If we're going to talk about getting passes batted down. uh, It's not like that one seam is going to have the advantage of the other. And I mean, I think that at this point in the evolution of football, we have to be honest about the fact that like short, short quarterbacks can play like that's just mm-hmm. what it is. Right. So I, I I'm going to say over just cause I think, I think he might have a good game. All right. What do you got? I'm sticking to, I'm sticking to CBCR. We might be long. We might be wrong, but I'm, I'm going to go out like a man. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to dance with the girl that brought me. I'm going to ride yes. on the horse that I came into town on. I've got, uh, I've got Georgia thirty-one, Bama twenty. I think this is a close game. Uh, I think this is going to be a close game all the way through the half. I just think that one of the things that happens when you play this Georgia defense, even with a very good offense, when you play defense of this level, is you have to, you have to when you play a defense this good, and I think it's kind of true when you play any side of the ball this good, you have to break serve. Right. Because Mm -hmm. the kind of default state of the game is going to be that UGA is going to give you hell and make it hard and basically get as many stops as possible. Right. Mm -hmm. UGA is going to make this team punt. Right. And so if you're Alabama and you're playing a close game, what you have to do is right. Like first you have to score. Then you have to get a stop. Then you might have to score again because this is a team that is going to. Like, I think the sort of quality and the personality of this UGA defense is that, like, they will give up some yards sometimes, but if they get you in a bad position, then you're done, right? And they're really good at getting people in a bad position. So I think this is going to be a game that is back and forth, and it's going to be close. It's going to be two or three point, four point game at halftime. And then it's going to be a game where Bama just cannot break serve, where it's like UGA, UGA is up, is tied. And then they're up by three, 
but it's like this is still a game that you know they're in and then they score again and they're up by 10 but there's still like 14 minutes left in the game so bama you know bama can totally do this right and then you know bama scores and uj's up by three and then they score again because uj holds serve and then they get a stop and it's like it's one of those things where it's like i just trust uga to get four or five stops and i think it's going to be a close game i don't think it's going to be easy or fun for anyone but i think this is a 10 to 12 point game that uga can win and i don't think it's going to be comfortable and it might be closer than the final score seems because this does also strikes me as a game where uga might do the thing to bama that bama did to uga last year where they have like just a 10 minute drive in the fourth quarter yeah because i i just i i think this team's more talented than alabama man I think this team, I think UGA is a favorite for a reason. I think they are a better team. And when you are a really talented team and you play a better team, look, I, take the names off the jerseys. And, you know, if, if you were talking about UJ and Bama are playing a game where Kirby Smart and Nick Saban are the head coaches, right? And one of these teams is really good, but has some holes, but they still got a lot of talent, a lot of five stars on the rosters, got a really game, a gamer ass quarterback who can run around, who can throw the ball. You know, they've had consistent, they have problems running the ball, but they stop the hell out of the run. They give up too many deep pass plays. And you got another team that has a world beater defense and an offense that has been good enough all year. Who do you think is who? Because you would assume that if I described the two footprints of these teams without putting the names on them, that Alabama was Georgia and Georgia was Alabama. And what's happened every other time that these two two teams have played and you've had two teams with those personalities, right? A team that is very talented but flawed versus a team with a historically good side of the ball. That's already happened two or three times in this matchup. And what has happened every time that is that the team that is very good but flawed gets crushed in some horrible mm-hmm. way. And it's like, I don't believe that these words are coming out of my mouth. But I think Georgia should beat this team. Like, I yeah. I, I think the smart thing to predict is that they're going to win. And yeah. I think they're going to cover. Agree. I mean, it, it, it feels weird and strange and funny. And But you know what? Life is weird and strange and funny. And that's kind of where I'm at right now, too, is that, you know, two years ago or three years ago when we were sitting here trying to predict games like this against Bama, we were thinking... Uh, it's not really going to go well. And I had to keep all my rose tinted glasses. But statistically speaking, this seems like a Georgia win. And I think that uh, narratively speaking, if we were trying to predict what this game would look like, is that you're right. Like, it will not be fun. It will not be comfortable. Going into the half, we will have our doubts. And then going into the second half, Man, it's gonna be it's gonna be weird because both of these teams they they adapt well in the second half, and it just depends on how each of these teams chooses to predict or to adapt, you know, going into the second half, and 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 which one does it better. And so, it 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 comes down to I think talent, and this Georgia team has more talent at this point, more more talent and more depth than this Alabama team, which is a weird thing to be saying out loud. Uh, that the the dynasty has sort of changed a bit. I guess the the talent uh, the the talent gap has kind of become more equitable as far as the you know the SEC is concerned. And so maybe Georgia does pull this through, man. Uh, I I have a little bit more of a gap for you than you do at uh, Georgia thirty four and Bama seventeen is what I'm going for. So, whew, we'll see how it goes. I don't feel as crazy as I normally do when I say things like this. So. My fingers are crossed. How do you feel? 
<laughs> I feel horrible. <laughs> I feel I awful. I feel terrible. So uh, let's try and wrap this episode up with our Ask CBC segment. What do you say? Yeah, let's get out of here. Yeah. yeah. Let, let's, let's, <laughs> let's rapid fire these. We're, we're, we're a long way in and it's 1130. And even though this is a we really sure important are. game, I got to yeah. go to bed. Uh, Timothy Watts. Old friend Tim Watts says, a few SECCG questions. Should you have the time? And please don't feel obligated to answer all or any of these. If you don't, thank you, Tim, for, for that little uh, caveat Yeah, because we don't. But <laughs> uh, So, very first question. You described a portion of our offense that I've repeatedly had concern about against a few of our FBS opponents this year. Anecdotally, I don't feel that our running back talent has translated into continual success on the ground. And it seems like... At least part of that could be attributed to the offensive line. Parentheses. Darnell Washington's run blocking has been good. Close parentheses. Can you put numbers to what we can anticipate in terms of success slash challenges for our run game versus the tide? Yeah, I mean, I don't think we're going to be able to run the ball with that much effectiveness. Honestly, uh, I think we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna probably. I think this might be one of those vintage games where we look pretty good at it in the second half because we just wear them down with a lot of unsuccessful runs. But I don't I don't see us running the ball well. And in fact, if we run the mm-hmm. ball well in the first half, then I think that bodes very well for where we are. Yeah, absolutely. Second question. Come away with me to a world in which we beat Alabama for the SEC title. What is the likelihood that we win the natty against OSU, which might not be probably, probably very unlikely. Let's replace yeah. that with Michigan. Cincy. Yeah, Michigan, Cincy, Notre Dame. Ignore if you want to save that for another episode. But hit me with it. What do you think? I mean, off the dome, like this is, I think we would be favored by a a touchdown, seven to ten points against Michigan, mm-hmm. probably ten to fifteen points against Cincy, and probably the same seven against Notre to Dame, 10, six to ten against Notre Dame. I think Notre yeah. Dame's played well recently, so we might they might get a little bump. I think you probably are looking at like four to seven, four to 10, somewhere in there against uh, Michigan and Notre Dame, depending on just like what, how this weekend goes. Yeah, absolutely. Final question. Alabama is an anime villain. I was thinking vicious, but that's not perfect. Maybe sell. Does that make us go on? What do you got? I, it's like you hate them, but they're kind of a glorious bastard. I think vicious from uh, vicious from Kelly up is very good because he's very good at his job. Uh, mm-hmm. And that also Spike is a very UGA character because it's all about like existential dread and like whatever happens, happens. Uh, and then I think another good one would be uh, Shigaraki from My Hero Academia because it's like sort of a glorious bastard and he's like a bad person, but and you're not rooting for him, but you kind of get it. And it's like there's elements of him where you're like, that's kind of cool. Uh, and similarly, but th- he's awful. Similarly, I think um, if you want to do Jujutsu Kaisen, I think big Sakuna vibes out of Alabama where it's like, man, yeah, he's bad, but damn, he is cool. <laughs> like, I don't necessarily think Alabama's cool, but there's there are moments where you have to be like, well, that's Alabama. Like, I guess that's fine. Yeah, my my uh, initial, I went with the Dragon Ball Z theme and I said Frieza because I feel like Alabama has year after year said this isn't my final form and they've continued to grow. Uh, but I do really mm-hmm. like Georgia being Gohan because Gohan was one of my favorite characters and Tim wanted to add, I also have to say that I thought Chris D in London was Christy in London, which I guess there may have been many other people that have thought the same thing. But uh, Tim is pleased that we are represented across the pond by any sentient entity, regardless of gender identity. Go dogs forever and ever. Amen. Tim. Thank you, Tim. We appreciate you. Joel, 
Question says, what's your opinion on the SEC roll call series of shorts produced by Matt Mitchell this year? Personally, I see way too much of myself in how he characterizes Georgia. I think he has the he has the trauma down. Good. Oh, yeah. I, I like him. Into it. If you haven't checked out the SEC roll call series, it's very good. We tend to watch those on our Discord. Uh, go check them out if you haven't already. The hell you say. Sorry if it's too late, but question, and it's a simple one. Who is your MVP for this team? A lot of football left, but in this regular season with a team as defined by a no superstars identity as this one. Who's the MVP? Is there one? I'd say Nicobe Dean, but it could be half a dozen others. I mean, I think the obvious answer is Jordan Davis. I think if you were saying, like, who's the non-Jordan Davis MVP? Mm-hmm. It might be Trayvon Walker. I, I Actually, no, I would say Jalen Carter. Jalen Carter, dude, like, it just... It doesn't show up on the stat sheet always, but that dude just wrecks interior lines. Yeah. And that, that's how I feel about Jordan Davis. Is it doesn't show up on the stat sheet, but the pressure that he yeah. provides, like just because he doesn't connect with one person that is, you know, uh, part of the play necessarily on the offense and the opposing team doesn't mean that he's not effective. And just because it's not quantitative doesn't mean it's not impactful. Chris D. Chris D. in London. This is Chris D. himself. Conventional wisdom is that Stetson Bennett is too short to make it in the NFL. Suppose Georgia wins three more games and Stetson decides to call it a day for UGA. Would a short national champion QB be a splashy marquee signing for an alternative pro football league like the returning USFL? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think he could totally play since a place like that. Yeah, I, I don't necessarily foresee him being somebody who's like, I'm going straight to the NFL draft. And if he does, maybe a practice team, maybe he goes the same kind of route in the NFL, but we'll see what happens, you know? It'd be weird. Uh, Eric Russell asks, over under 196 and a half Stetson Bennett passing yards, which is a good number because it tends to be kind of, that seems like above average, but not too far from average. I'll say over. Yeah. I'll hit you yeah. with over. I think it needs to be a passing game that we need to, to actually to make this game happen. Gabe. Gabe asks, how much wood would these dogs chop if these dogs could chop wood? Well, they can and a lot. How much wood, though? Quantify it, Nathan. I would <laughs> One, say... One, two, three? What, what's the measure of, of cut wood? Oh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. What is many, the... What a many sheds. Wood choppers. Cords. Many cords. I'll say 200 cords. Tons of cords. Tons. Case Sarge yes. asks, <laughs> what time should I start drinking Thursday to prepare for the game? Well, it's a, it's a marathon, not a sprint. So Yeah, but you're already too late, really. Let's be real. Yeah, you it's probably Wednesday should have been tailgating yesterday. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's already, you're already, you're already done. Josh West, I know this isn't an insider podcast or anything, but do you think UJ will snag anyone from the portal with all the coaching changes going on? Or do you think that the guys from OU, LSU, ND, and so on have interest in having already decided where they're going? Uh, I'm not sure that any of the coaching changes will affect it, but I, I almost guarantee you we'll get a wide receiver in the portal and probably also a safety just from depth. Well, I hope so. I hope so. I hope so. I hope so. Miles, if I have to be at a wedding ceremony at three on Saturday, what time is it appropriate to start listening to the radio broadcast? I mean, 4 p.m. I, as they say, I do. Doesn't matter. You got it. Like, what are your priorities? You're the elite or you're not. Either you own this or you don't. Unless you are getting married or you are doing the officiate. And I love Jordan. I love Justin to death. And I did. I officiated his wedding. But if his wedding had been on NCC Championship Day, my ass would have had a Bluetooth uh, headphone in. Like, during the wedding. I would not have been upset. All right. I would have understood. 
F-U-T underscore A-S-T. Do we think Kirby slash Monk can make the move to trust over Erickson at any point in this game? Unless things go wrong, I don't think so. Hey, all right. I like it. Avon TS, if JT Daniels is Zaxby's and DJ Uliangale, you, I forgot how to say his name. There it is. Is Bojangles, which regional chicken restaurant and or gas station is Stetson Bennett the fourth and Bryce Young? Good Lord. There's so Stet- many, uh, so many chicken, chicken questions. Stetson uh. Bennett is, Stetson Bennett is Kane's because he's very, very divisive. People either love him or hate him. And I don't know what Bryce Young is. I don't know enough mm. about him. Who's Chick-fil-A? Are any of them Chick-fil-A? That's what I was trying to figure no, out. He might be Chick-fil-A. Bryce Young could Jake be Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A. I see it happen. Yeah. Yeah. Jared Steady, Campbell. True. Jared Campbell asks, I'm sure it'll be discussed, but how do the other models compare to CBCR to score predictions? I just don't see Bama scoring into the high 20s as some other models are predicting. Yeah, I think that we've done a better job catching up to UGA's defense than most other predictive models have. Uh, yeah. FEI is one outlier that I think definitely has been on par with us but yeah i think that's the biggest thing is that like cbcr is doing a better job with uga's defense than many of the big uh predictive models like sp plus fpi and all and finally our last segment of the show is going to be yara's rage against the machine uh rage. as we've all seen yara has become a fan of football in this season in real time and so we're just gonna uh, let's work through some of these questions real quick and if you want to see these actual beautiful notes that Yara has created for us in this show. We'll throw them up on our Twitter and our Discord. So, very first question. Oh my god. Happy big game week besties. <laughs> Can you please explain whether or not this game is for quote-unquote bragging rights or not because uh, I am very confused. Win equals CFP, loss equals dot 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 CFP also? Huh? Yeah, basically this this game is about this. I mean, as long as you don't get blown out, this game is about where you're going to get seated in the CFP. You're going to go either way, as mm-hmm. long as you don't. It lose does feel that way. Points, but yeah. it's for more than bragging rights. This is for the soul. This is about this is about redemption, and writing. And can you cleanse the sins of your past? Can you cleanse your own regrets off of your soul? Are are the worst moments of our life so etched into who we are that we can no longer define ourselves without them in our lives? Is redemption really about the loss of identity? This is this is Kierkegaard. This is Faustus. This is Samuel Beckett. It is the center not cannot hold. It is the it is the widening gyre. Uh, it is it is about life and death. So yeah, carry on. It's very important, as you can imagine. Okay, so what can I shout on Saturday in order to properly support the dogs as they take on Bama? Uh. I mean, just incoherent yelling, I think. Are there it, any good look, shouts? Like, any good calls? I mean, I'm I'm, I'm not really uh, a big, like, shit talker anymore. <laughs> um, I would say that I can't give you advice as a shit talker because all the shit talking that I did as a college student would, would get you kicked out of band and maybe university. But you can call the dogs. Lots of go dogs. Lots of woof, woof, woof. You can break. You can basically bark at people. That that's my go-to move, right? This is important stuff. You got to bark at boys, boys and girls, and all in between. Uh, it's the most wonderful time of the year. No, I'm not talking about the holiday season, although that is pretty wonderful. I'm talking about Spotify Wrapped. Walk me through your Spotify Wrapped. Here is mine, also. Don't clown me, please. So if you want to check out Yara's Spotify Wrapped favorites, they're all up there. So hit me right, with your top uh, five real quick, though, Nathan. All right. Do you want just like my top five songs? 
It's a, uh, what do you feel more drawn to do? I think is, is important I, to ask. I, okay, so let's see. I, I guess I'll give you. you. I guess I'll give you artists. Mm-hmm. Um, my top five artists were <laughs> Olivia Rodrigo, mm-hmm. uh, Wolfpack. Um, let's see. Let me make sure I get this right. I have this saved on my phone. Give me two seconds. Olivia Rodrigo, Wolfpack. And then I forget what the the last four were. I listened to Driver's License a lot this year. I think you said eighty nine uh, times. I, yeah, I think that song's really good. So here we go. In in order: Olivia Rodrigo, Wolfpack, Gunship, which I love, Churches, Chaverches, and then Kiefer, who's a piano player. And then my top songs were in order: uh, Driver's License, which is Olivia Rodrigo, All I Need, which is Jacob Collier. Uh, Liz, which is this really, really great artist whose name is escaping me right now. Remy Wolf. Um, I love that song. And then uh, Ooh La La, which is Run the Jewels. And then mm-hmm. Misery Business, which is Paramore. Hell yeah. It's a whole mix. <laughs> yeah. Eclectic. Uh, I love it. My top five artists were Kishibashi, Athens favorite, Father John Misty, Lizzo, The Shins, and Whitney. And my, my top five songs were uh, number one, Honey Body from Kishibashi, and Remind Me from Emily King, which is 100% like the best roller skating modern anthem I can possibly give to each of you. Uh, number three, Nancy from Now On from Father John Misty, The Breeze from Dr. Dog, and Chateau Lobby number four from Father John Misty, which reminds me of my wife, and I love it very much, and I want to listen to it literally every day. Uh, it is a great song. Next question, though. Okay, getting boba tomorrow with a girl that is so out of my league. I'm nervous. Please give advice. No, okay, here's my advice. You ready? Mm-hmm. There are no leagues. None. You. It doesn't matter if you are a scrub. Doesn't matter if you are first round draft pick. Nope. If you swing at the ball and you connect. You connected. This is. You got this. I, I have yep. full confidence. You are having boba with this person for a reason, and it is not pity, right? Be who you are, and that will be enough. Either you're mm-hmm. elite or you're not. What got you here, right? Be the person you were that got you here, and just get in there and execute the game plan, right? And the game plan is be the person you are, and that's always going to be enough. And if it doesn't work, it was still enough because the person you were is always enough. You already did the hard part, and that was getting the date. Yeah. That's the hardest part. Yeah. You're already All in. I want to do is eat, and I want you to eat, right? <laughs> And that's yeah. what you're going to do. And I want you That's to what you're going to do. Yeah. Get out there and dominate this date, which means being yourself and being conscientious and an active listener and being generous with your time and attention and affection. And that's Channel what it means. Jordan Davis. Jordan Davis yes. was drafted. Jordan was, Davis. Was, yeah. Look, do it. If, if, you, if you want Jordan Davis to crush you into the ground, he will because he's nice like that. But if you want him to hold you sweetly, whatever. Whatever your love language is, that's what Jordan Davis will do for you. Right? That's enough. <laughs> I love it. How do I indoctrinate my good friend into CFB? She likes the NHL, which I think I helped her get into, but I don't know how to get her into Dog Nation. She also goes to UGA. All right. Here's the thing. The NHL is stupid, and it's really stupid you for a lot of reasons. You shut your mouth. No, 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 no. But listen, listen. This is a compliment, right? The NHL operates with a bunch of, like, unwritten rules, and there's fighting, and there's all this, like, dumb bravado stuff, and you've got these no. teams that have been... There are good reasons for it. No, 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 no. I'm being complimentary. I'm being complimentary. 
There are a lot of things about mo- here. Let me put it this way: there are a lot of things about modern professional hockey which seem absurd. Those mm. are the best things, right? Okay. Go ahead. The the fighting, the unwritten rules, the stare downs, the original six, the winter classics. That's the best things about it. And let's be honest: on some level, it's all pretty stupid, right? That's what is good about college football. Mm-hmm. The marching band doesn't make sense in a vacuum, right? The rivalries don't make sense in a vacuum. The fact that an Alabama man killed somebody's tree on a public college campus and it caused like death threats and it put him in prison, that doesn't make sense either. The absurdity, the pageantry, the insanity of it is the point. And the NHL is the same way, right? If you're going to admit that you want to watch grown men at the height of their athletic prowess beat the shit out of each other, be honest that that's why you like it. And that's what I respect about hockey. And that's also what I respect about college football. Okay, that's fine. That's a fine answer. That's fine. If we do win, do we get to storm the field? I want to storm the field. No, no, we're not going to storm the field. Calm down. I don't think we're allowed to storm the field in Mercedes-Benz. No. I don't think it's going to happen. No, I mean, I you like a, a UGA student might, but you're not. Yeah, that, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> That's a very good point. Even among the Redcoats, you're like the least likely person to be able to physically storm the field. Not because of who you are physically, because you're the furthest away. And you have a large instrument to you're in charge of uh, making sure it gets back home. (laughs) These are all important things. I thought about how there won't be any more college football in a few weeks and got very sad. What am I supposed to do after the postseason is over? Ah, see? No, 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 it's fine. No, this This is is the great thing. Yeah, all of the things that you liked before college football can now become part of your life again. So don't think of it as I lost college football. Think of it as now I have times for the other things I love. Right. Mm -hmm. In the same way that when you hook back up with that old flame in Paris and you're constantly thinking about the scent of her every moment that you're not with her, but now you're back with your family again. Right. So that's also positive. What is this in reference to? I don't know. I'm just trying to live out my like weird noir fantasies. <laughs> okay, that's fine. Uh, you, guys, you guys never kids. read a detective novel? All right, carry yeah, on. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's every it's, that's Casablanca basically. Hello, short hair kings. Now that my buzz cut has grown out, how do I style my hair? I've never really styled it before. I don't know the degree to which Yara has naturally curly hair. I know that they have very curly hair like right now. Uh. I would say I can't speak. I, you, you have, I think, probably finer, straighter hair than I do. I would say mm-hmm. I have like very bushy, curly ringlet hair. Yeah, you have thicker hair my, than I do. My experience is that when you have curly hair, you can't go too heavy on product. You want it like a medium pomade. I use Suavecito. It's a very good brand if you want a men's pomade. Um, I'm also into like a, a light hold, like dry shampoo, like clay, like sculpting gel. But you yeah. don't want to do too much. You want to get it damp to dry. You want to rub it into your hands first and then just like get up there and see where it wants to go. Now, mm-hmm. I'm not sure the degree to which that's going to work on your hair because I think it is quite naturally curly. Um, but I think if you're trying to to um, if you're trying to go, I, I, I'm really a huge fan of like the short undercut and then like styling up top. And if you're trying mm-hmm. to do that, that's the method is to go yep. a little bit in the hands, like a pea sized amount in the hands, get that really rubbed in and then sculpt up top on damp to dry hair um there is this uh this shim dry shampoo and hold product called badlands that i also quite like but suavecito Mm -hmm. is like my everyday 
um, stuff. It's a medium hold pomade. So I will say I, you know, everybody kind of learned their own thing, I guess, during quarantine last year. And my thing was that I learned way too much about my hair. And so the thing I did learn was, well, first of all, I stopped shampooing my hair. I, I do not wash my hair any longer. I only use conditioner every few weeks. It, it, it has changed the entire just trajectory of my hair. It's fantastic. I rinse it every day, but then I just use a co-wash, which is essentially a like a natural hair uh, conditioner. And so that's what I think is the most important part of this is that it makes your hair uh, produce the right oils and the oils that your hair likes the most. And so every few weeks uh, I use that and it's totally fine. And then I use just about every day the, that same Badlands dry shampoo uh, that Nathan just mentioned, the shampoo paste. I throw that in my hair after I get out of the shower and I blow dry it and it's great and it stays all day and it looks good and it's fine. Uh, and then, you know, after a few days, I usually use like a, like a charcoal spray that kind of is also a dry shampoo, but I have really enjoyed and learned how to enjoy a lot of very nice products. Um, in the summer months, I use a lot of like salt spray and it it makes it all work, makes it all work out really well. Uh, yeah. Another, another like hack is that going sea salt spray and then like a pomade on top will give you some nice waves. Going just sea salt spray if you want a little more mm-hmm. windswept look, that works. Now, that is assuming that you're trying to, like, comb across. Mm-hmm. I don't really know anything about people who have, like, sort of out hair, like a more wavy sort of, like, if, you're tear- if your hair tends to be up, I don't know. But if your hair kind of lays across, that's how I would mm-hmm. do it. Yeah. I think the other thing is, like, you want to get some, like, height to it. You want to get some volume up there. Oh, yeah. You can do that with the, the, the blow dryer as well. So Yeah. Blow dryer is your friend, I promise. All right, let's get out of here. It's almost midnight. It is midnight, and my wife is probably upset, and I love her so much. Let's go. Hit us with the intro, or outro, not the intro. Don't do it again. The outro. Not sure why you listened all the way for the hair care advice, but here we are. This has been Chapel Belkert. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere else you can subscribe to a podcast, because we are going to die how we lived, which is talking about stuff that doesn't matter. You can get in touch with us. On Facebook, by searching Chapel Belkert, by email at chapelbelkert at gmail.com, and on Twitter and Instagram, at chapelbelkert. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd love if you could leave us a rating and review anywhere that you get your podcast. Apple Podcasts is great. Spotify is great. Etching it onto the back of a Bama fan with a stick and poke tattoo. When you find them passed out in an alley in Atlanta, that is also great. Don't do Five that. stars. Don't do that. That's illegal. But if they let you, do it. All right. Uh, <laughs> if you loved what you heard here today and you want to support the podcast, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Chapel Belker. For as little as $1 a month, you can join our community, which is great and stupid and clearly because they are influencing what we say. So uh-huh. we we will catch you this weekend, weekend in Atlanta, the place where dreams go to die. But also I would point out the place with the phoenix on its logo. A phoenix mm. is its symbol. So My hopefully hometown. we're going to get the good side of it and not the bad side. We're going to get the, uh, you know, economic boom and not the William T. Sherman. But until These then, are crossed. go, go dogs. dogs.